from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Are we not? Yes, I am evil. Not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello, and welcome to my very first podcast. This is Alyssa Carroll, and I am your host for Serial Killing, a podcast. I am the creator of the Instagram account, at serial underscore killing, where we discuss the life history of serial killers so that we may explore some possible reasons for their violent and disturbing behaviors. Our first podcast will be about Ted Bundy, and who better to start this adventure with? He has made his way into the news again recently, as 2019 is the 30-year anniversary of his execution. Netflix has recently released their series, The Ted Bundy Tapes, and Zac Efron will be starring as Ted Bundy in a new film titled, quote, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. So, there is now a renewed curiosity about this man right now, and that's valid. But there also seems to be a fangirl trend right now that is quite frankly, a little scary. Ted was an extremely dangerous and sadistic man behind the charm and good looks. So, let's get started. Ted Bundy was born on November 24, 1946, making him a Sagittarius. So let's get some history of the world at that time. 1946 brought the end of World War II. There were still job and food shortages from the Great Depression, but things were beginning to look up at this time. The International War Crimes Tribunal was occurring, where 12 high-ranking Nazis were sentenced to death. The crime trials with Japan were also occurring due to their involvement with the Nazis during the war. The U.S. began atomic bomb testing, and there was also widespread famine in China and 30 million people there were on the brink of starvation. But on a more positive note, the Mensa Society was formed, created for people with extremely high IQs to have their own inclusive club. The very first Cannes Film Festival was held in the French Riviera. Interestingly, Tupperware and microwave ovens were created and the popular musicians of the day were B.B. King, Frank Sinatra, and Bing Crosby. Some other famous people born in 1946 were Susan Sarandon, George W. Bush, Cher, the Freddie Mercury, and our current president, Donald Trump. So this was the world that Ted Bundy was born into. His mother was Eleanor Louise Cowell, and her pregnancy with him was scandalous for those times. She was quite young and unmarried. To escape the shame of being pregnant out of wedlock, she left her parents' home and entered the Elizabeth Lund home for unwed mothers in Burlington, Vermont. She gave birth to Theodore Robert Cowell there. While there is no record of who his biological father was, Louise, his mother, first said the father was a salesman who had been an Air Force veteran named Lloyd Marshall. She then backtracked and said his father was Jack Worthington, a sailor who had seduced her. Ultimately, the line where Ted's father's name should have been on his birth certificate was stamped, unknown. 
Investigators later looked into these two men only to find that neither of them ever existed. So that leaves another theory as to who his father was, his grandfather. Samuel Cowell was not a kind man. He was in fact an abusive husband, beating his wife on occasion. He and his wife had three daughters, Ted's mother Louise being the middle child. It was said that he often kicked dogs and whirled cats around by their tails. He shoved one of his daughters down a flight of stairs. He had a love of pornography. It has also been said that he suffered from hallucinations and talked to himself as if speaking with another person. Ted's grandmother suffered from severe depression and even received electroshock treatments. Her anxiety and depression became so intense that she developed extreme agoraphobia and literally could not leave the house. So in this environment, it doesn't seem like a far stretch to at least consider the possibility that Ted's grandfather was his biological father, but we will never know for sure. So after Louise gave birth to Ted, she left him in the unwed mother's home for nearly three months. At some point, her parents demanded she go back and get the baby and bring him home. So Louise did. Her parents began to raise him as their own child and Ted was under the impression that Louise was his much, much older sister. It is not certain as to when he was told she was actually his mother, but we do know that he deeply resented his mother for this. The first three years of his life were spent in Philadelphia with his grandparents. By all accounts, he was treated very, very well. Ted absolutely adored his grandfather, but by age three, Ted was already displaying troubling behaviors. One of his aunts said that she awoke once from a nap to find little Ted had put knives all around her on the bed while she had been sleeping, and he was standing beside the bed smiling, quite proud of himself. His grandfather kept his library of pornography in the greenhouse and little Ted would go in there and look through the books and magazines. In 1950, when Ted was four years old, Louise suddenly took him and moved to Tacoma, Washington, where she lived with some cousins of hers for a short while. There, at one of the local churches, she met Johnny Bundy and married him later that same year. After the marriage, Johnny officially adopted Ted. He was now officially Theodore Robert Bundy. Louise and Johnny had four more children together, but Ted never expressed any real bond with his siblings. In interviews with Ted's peers, it has been said that Ted never really did quite fit in with the other kids. While he lived in an upper middle class area, his family didn't have a lot of money and Ted wasn't shy about complaining that his stepfather was not a very intelligent man who did not make enough money. Ted also pulled very dangerous pranks on other kids. One of the ladies interviewed on the Netflix series specifically stated that she remembered a time when he dug tiger traps or pits in the ground in the forest, then sticking twigs into the bottom, standing them up like spikes, and covering the hole with leaf litter, only to have a little girl once run across and fall into one, slicing nearly the entire length of one of her legs. Ted wanted to be the best at everything, and his peers said that he really wasn't, but it wasn't from a lack of trying. 
to hear Ted talk about his childhood, he stated that he played with many kids from his neighborhood and got along fine with everyone. During his teen years, he seemed to really mature into his looks and the girls found him quite handsome, though he was still very socially awkward. He carried himself with a slight air of arrogance and intelligence, poise, if you will. He once said, quote, I didn't know what made people be friends. I didn't know what made people attractive to one another. I didn't know what underlay social interaction. Also during this time, he began to walk the streets at night, later admitting to going through people's garbage and finding pornography or violent detective magazines that had descriptions of women bound and gagged being held at gunpoint, and this aroused him. He also began breaking into people's cars, and eventually that escalated to breaking into houses. He was arrested on suspicion of breaking and entering, but his record was sealed once he became an adult. You see, Ted sold the items that he stole to help fund his love of skiing, because on the mountains he felt like he truly fit in with the other kids that did come from money. So, Ted graduated high school in 1965 and immediately went on to college. He was still cripplingly shy and socially awkward, even in college, and mostly kept to himself, although he did make a few friends. A lot of the kids that he went to college with came from money, which was something he could not relate to, and it took a hit on his ego. He switched schools and began classes at the University of Washington. There, he met and began dating Stephanie Brooks. To Ted, this girl had it all. She was beautiful with long brown hair and she came from a wealthy family. She was classy, sophisticated, smart, everything he ever wanted or wanted to be. In 1969, Ted began to crack under the pressure of full-time school having to work to pay for his schooling and keeping his girlfriend up to the standards that she was used to and he dropped out of college. He began working odd jobs and even played his hand at politics. However, Stephanie began to see that he was not really going to be what she wanted in a husband and she broke off their relationship. Ted was utterly devastated and obsessed over the split. Whether or not this was the catalyst, he went back to school and completed his degree in psychology. Interesting that that would come in handy later. Now around this time he met Elizabeth Klepfer, who was a single mother of a little girl, and she too was a very attractive young woman with long brown hair, and Ted was good to her and her young daughter. He continued to work for the Republican Party and even voiced his disdain for the riots and protests that were popular among college campuses at this time. But, for the most part, life for Ted during this time was good. So guys, here we are. We're at the precipice. The tipping point. Outside of possible murders before this, that we will never know whether or not he committed and there really isn't proof, we do know that for some reason, Ted began to kill young women. Linda Healy was a college student at Washington State University, majoring in psychology. She was also a ski forecaster for the Northwest Ski Reports. She lived in a house with four other college girls. On one night, January 31st of 1974, she went to bed at her usual time. 
The next morning, her roommates found her bed empty. The bed was perfectly made. She didn't show up to work, nor did she make it to the dinner that she had planned with her parents, and so they called the police. When the police arrived, they pulled back the cover on her bed to find her pillow and sheet heavily soaked with blood. Her body was nowhere to be found, but her nightgown had been found in her closet. The neckline was also soaked in blood. A short month and a half later, another young woman by the name of Donna Manson with long dark hair disappeared, never to be seen alive again. Then again in April, just a month after Donna, Susan Rancourt disappeared after a campus meeting one evening. Young college age women were beginning to disappear at an alarming rate in Washington state as well as Oregon, all at the hands of Ted Bundy. He broke into their rooms, or he kidnapped them in his car, he would bludgeon them, or strangle them to death, rape them, sodomize them, and even mutilate their bodies. He would ultimately take them up to, into the Washington mountains where he repeatedly visited the bodies to continue to have sex with them until he could no longer stand the decomposition. Some he had even decapitated and took their heads back to his apartment to look at whenever he pleased. So two girls went missing from a state park where they had been seen talking to a quote, Ted, who owned a beige or light brown Volkswagen bug. Some witnesses were able to give a description, which was distributed, but Ted left the area and moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. However, during his travels, he murdered five more women in Colorado, leaving their bodies out in the elements to be found, either fresh or highly decomposed bloodied, raped. Some were so decomposed that it was impossible to determine how they actually died. Once he was settled in Salt Lake City, he enrolled at a law school, but he could not keep himself from taking young women and murdering them. In total, around eight young women disappeared. Some of them were found later, beaten so severely that their faces were completely unrecognizable. However, one girl did manage to escape. Carol DeRanche was an 18-year-old girl who had decided to hit up the local mall for some shopping. Ted Bundy approached her in the mall and asked her for her car license plate number. She told him and Ted told her that someone had attempted to break into her car and that she'd better come with him to take a look. She said he was confident and seemed authoritative, so she followed him outside. Once outside in the dark, she began to get scared, her instincts kicking in. Ted insisted that she take a close look inside her car to ensure nothing had been stolen. Her gut was telling her something was off, but he insisted she come down to the station to see if she might recognize the suspect. She was hesitant, but she got into his car where she not only smelled alcohol on his breath, but she also noticed that he was driving in the complete wrong direction of the police station. She fought and they struggled, but she managed to be able to get out of the car and run away. Ted Bundy was so enraged at her escape that he immediately found another girl and murdered her that same night. So, as his body count rose, it was becoming clear what he was looking for. Young women with long brown hair parted down the middle, in a panic, women began to bleach their hair blonde. 
Authorities warned girls that he would feign some kind of injury, such as a broken arm with a fake cast, or ask for assistance. Finally, he was arrested for the kidnapping of Carol DeRanche. While awaiting trial, he was given some freedom to use the courthouse library to research his case. He managed to escape custody, was caught again, only to escape a second time by jumping from a second story window. It is important to remember that during this time in the 70s, there was no internet, there were no cell phones. There was no great information highway that made the authorities across different states be able to communicate information instantly or in any real timely manner. So it was a lot easier for someone to just disappear, which is exactly what Ted Bundy did. He fled to Florida and immediately began to kill again, only this time his bloodlust was greatly intensified. It's as if getting away with all of the previous murders just fed his ego. He murdered six more girls, all of them but one being college girls. The one was a 12-year-old little girl that he kidnapped as she was headed home from school. But something as simple as a traffic violation that he was pulled over for was finally his undoing. At first he refused to give his identity to the police, but it didn't take long for his identity to finally be known. Ted was off the streets officially in 1978. During the court proceedings, he gave his court-appointed attorneys a very hard time, and he finally decided to represent himself. A lot of the time, when he thought he was being clever with his defense, he was just making things worse for himself. He did, however, have a supporter other than his mother, a woman by the name of Carol Boone. While she was testifying on what a wonderful and caring man he was, he proposed to her in front of the court and the judge, to which she agreed, and they were effectively married right then and there. So ultimately, he was found guilty of murder. You see, he liked to also bite the bodies, and the teeth marks he left on those bodies matched perfectly with his dental records. He was sentenced to death by electric chair, and while awaiting his execution, he somehow managed to get Carol pregnant and she gave birth to their daughter, though when he finally confessed to the murders, she divorced him, took their daughter, and moved away, changing their names to protect the little girl. Which means, he has a daughter out there somewhere. Does she know that she's THE Ted Bundy's child? We don't know. He was executed on January 24th, 1989. He was 43 years old. There was a party going on outside the prison on the day that he was executed. People were excited. He looked at the crowd outside and said, they think I'm crazy. So his body count is officially in the 30s, but it is widely accepted that he killed many, many more. So folks, what went wrong? Was he a child of incest? His paternal lineage being both his father and his grandfather who did suffer from mental illness as it was? Perhaps he was so utterly enraged at finding out his sister was actually his mother and that he was an illegitimate child. Is that what cracked his mind? Was it truly the pornography in the detective magazines? or maybe a malfunction in specific areas of his brain, such as the amygdala, 
and the orbital cortex that control impulse and morality. So what made Ted Bundy evil? So these are the things that we try to understand on the Instagram page and what we are going to tackle on this podcast. This is my first podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a nice day. Music by www.bensound.com.